Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 276 of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Epitome of Loyalty, an interview with Nicoletta Forbes. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Folks, one of the things we've learned through our 276 interviews on our Tick Bootcamp podcast is that loyalty is a vital characteristic for healing on a Lyme disease journey. And this woman is the epitome of loyalty. She was loyal to her husband, despite him being very sick just before they had gotten married. Uh, She stayed focused on his treatment to the point where she didn't even begin treating herself when she was diagnosed with Lyme disease. She stayed loyal to the importance of people honoring her husband's journey and didn't even share with anyone that she was sick from Lyme disease until she actually did our podcast. And she's been very loyal to her treatment journey. So folks, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce to you the epitome of loyalty, Nicoletta Forbes. Hey, Nicoletta Forbes from St. Petersburg, Florida. Welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hi. So Nicoletta, talk to us about um, what you do in St. Petersburg. I am a full-time realtor. So I sling houses. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's yeah. really cool. So you're a, you're a southeastern gal. So you're on the same coast as us, but you're on the most southern part of the U.S. And uh, talk to us about what the weather is like uh, in Florida today. Um, beautiful. It's always beautiful. So fun fact, uh, St. Petersburg is known as Sunshine City because we have had the most Sundays consecutively. So. All right. And I guess that's really a good environment in which to sling houses, right? Um, uh, people are going to be much more excited about buying a house if they're walking into it with their, with their nice realtor on a beautiful sunny day. Correct. Yes. It makes everyone happy. The palm trees, the water, the sunshine, everyone um, tends to be in a better mood. Yeah. Selling, selling houses in the happiest place in the world must be a nice thing, Nicoletta. So talk to us about uh, where you grew up, where are you from and, and what was it like growing up wherever you grew up? Yeah. So I was actually born in Romania. Um, I was two when my parents came over, actually my dad came over first. Um, and my mom was actually pregnant with me when my dad fled Romania. Cause at the time it was communist. And at the age of two, my mom came over with my sister and I, and we moved to Detroit, Michigan. From there, we ended up in Arkansas, Hot Springs, Arkansas. And from there, I went to high school, college there. And then um, I had a position with a department store and I moved to, or a retailer, I should say. And I moved to Atlanta with them. Worked there for about a month and then decided to get into real estate. And that's where I met my husband. Um, Yep. Lived in Atlanta for a while and then ended up in Florida. All right. So you've you've been all over the U.S., right? Uh, A little bit. Yeah. You're a Michigan gal, an Arkansas gal, a a Georgia gal. So you're a peach as well. And then finally to... uh, to the most southeastern corner um, yeah. of the U.S. in Florida. So um, talk to us about um, what your childhood was like r- relative to the outdoors. Were, were, were your experiences in either Detroit, which I guess is an inner city, um, but in, in Arkansas or, um, or Atlanta, were, um, were any of those experiences outdoorsy experiences? Um, They were. So in Arkansas, we did a lot of like four wheeler riding. We went out to the lake. Um, Hot Springs has a few lakes. And so we did a lot out and during the summer out on the 
on the water. Um, I remember as a kid, we would play outside, obviously, right? It was a different, different time then. We didn't sit on our phones like my niece does now. I actually played outside, rode my bike, et cetera. But I remember there would be days we would come in and my mom would say, okay, strip down. Let's check and see if you have any texts on you, right? And of course, every now and then we'd find some um, and we would just take them off, kill them, throw them out. And that was it. Um, so we did do a lot outdoors and it's funny because now thinking back, I'm like, oh, mom did used to check us for ticks, but nobody really knew that you're supposed to check the ticks if there's anything going on with them. Right. Um, and that was pretty much my whole childhood. I remember that. So it's interesting that your mom was tick aware, right? This uh, this immigrant from Romania uh, was aware yeah. of these threats that ticks could pose to her children, and uh, and she would regularly, after you were outside, have you take your clothes off so that she could check you to make sure that you didn't have ticks uh, biting you. So where where do you think she gained this uh, knowledge about ticks and the potential threat that they could cause to her children? Um, I, I honestly, I don't know. And I don't know that she knew the extent of the threat that the ticks, you know, carry. Right. I don't know. I don't know where she got it from. I mean, obviously she grew up in Romania and probably there, they did the same thing because they lived out, you know, in, on farms. Right. So it was probably very common there as well. And, um, oddly enough, I'll fill you guys in on when I did my bioenergy test, the strand that they found for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's leave that little teaser out there for, for our community. And let's talk a little bit more about, um, about your experiences with ticks here uh, in the U S. So um, when, uh, when your mom was checking you, do you recall ever having found, or if she ever found a, uh, an attached tick on you? So I, yes, I have had attached ticks, never had a bullseye rash or anything like that to bring concern. Right. Um, it was just part of the thing. Oh, you have a tick. Let's take it off, kill it, get rid of it. Right. And that was it. Now, when you say you, you never had a bullseye rash or, or a rash that would cause you to have concern. Were you, right. were you, did you have enough information to lead you to believe that you should be looking for a rash? Did your mom say that she was looking for a rash or you just, based on your recollection, you just don't recall that to be the case? Um, I don't recall it to be the case. I, I didn't know, right? I didn't know anything about Lyme until literally like 2016. And 2016 is, is when, um, when you first started having um, your symptoms or that's when you finally get your diagnosis? Uh, no, that's when, that's when I started having symptoms. Um, I actually had EBV was what took me down in 2016. And that was the year that my husband got diagnosed with Lyme disease. Okay. So let's, let's, let's unpack yeah. that a, a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. What were your symptoms that led you to ultimately seek treatment for the Epstein-Barr virus? Um, it was summer. Um, I had no energy, none. I mean, I'm talking getting out of the bed and taking a shower was a chore, right? 
none of my clothes fit. I gained weight because I had no energy. So I thought I needed to eat more to have energy. And of course, you know, wasn't eating healthy, what we're supposed to be eating. Right. Um, I was fatigued, very fatigued. I felt like I was just living in a cloud almost just, I was watching the world go by me and I wasn't a part of it. Okay. So, um, now when was the last time you recall having been bitten by a tick prior to the development of the symptoms, these fatigue and these sort of disassociation symptoms that were developing in 2016? To be honest, I don't, I don't really remember ever being bitten besides those times as a child. My mom pulled ticks off of us because we played outside because we played outside. Sorry. Um, so there wasn't any time that I could remember, I'm going to say from like high school on of ever being actually bitten by a tick. So where were you in your life in 2016? Where were you living and what were you doing professionally? And, and what was your husband doing professionally at that time? So um, I lived in Atlanta. I was actually doing real estate. My husband was doing real estate as well. We both worked together. Um, and that was a blessing at the time because the days that I felt terrible, which that summer was literally almost every day, he was able to take over. And the days that he felt bad, I could take over for him. And we had an assistant that did a lot behind the scenes that just, I mean, it was, it was a lifesaver for us. Um, and with doing real estate, we did have flexibility. We could kind of work around, you know, I don't feel good right now. Just give me a minute to get myself together and we could go on with the day. So between, between you and your husband tag teaming and your assistant supporting you, how you needed your assistant to support you, you folks were able to get through this professionally. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your husband's diagnosis. He was diagnosed with Lyme disease at that time. Uh, yeah. what, what was going on? Talk to us about that diagnosis. All right. So I met my husband in 2014. And when we met, he kept saying, Oh, I have really bad allergies, etc. And I was like, Yeah, you know, I, I understand because my allergies are pretty bad, too. And when I talk to people about my allergies, they don't understand how bad they are. So when he was telling me that, like, he gets fatigued, right? Or he gets really tired and these bad headaches. And I was like, yeah, you know, that, that happens to me too. I completely understand. And so we kind of, we understood each other on that level. Right. And then 2016, well, I, I, let me go back. He was seeing an ear, nose and throat doctor for his allergies. Right. And they were doing everything like the, the drops, whatever, everything that you can do for allergies they were doing it and he wasn't getting better. He was getting worse, progressively worse. Right. So 2016, I was like, listen, there's something wrong by this point. You should be seeing an improvement with your allergies, but you're continuing to get worse. I think it's time we get a second opinion. Right. And he said, yeah, you might be right. Uh, you know, let me see. I'll see whatever. And somehow, I don't know how he, connected with a naturopath in uh, Roswell, Georgia, right? And he did a bioenergy test. 
In 2016, if you asked me about bioenergy testing, I would have been like, I was not, I would have, I was when he came home and told me that he was going to get a bioenergy test at this, at this place. I was like, what is that? And he's like, you hold these two prongs and they read your energy, et cetera. And I was like, what kind of quack, quack shit is this? Like, what, what are you talking about? Right. And so I was like, okay, whatever, whatever. He went, he did his testing. And of course they're, they don't tell you, you have Lyme disease, right. But they will tell you what they are reading and Borrelia, right. Is one of them. And so I start researching and I'm like, what is this? And then I read and I'm like, oh my God, this is linked to Lyme disease. What is Lyme disease? So then I started going down this rabbit hole. Right. Um, now I forgot where I was going with this, <laughs> but let me, let me ask you this. Well, you said yeah. that you and your husband were having these parallel symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. So now as your husband is going um, through this diagnostic journey and he, and he discovers at least through, through the, uh, through the, the uh, energy testing that he may be right. suffering from Lyme disease. Did it occur to you that perhaps you were likewise suffering from Lyme disease? No, no, no. And he was like, do you want to do this? And I was like, mm -mm, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I trust it yet. You know, I was like, okay, we have an answer for you. That's great. But I don't know if I trust it yet. Like, like I said, to me, it was like, what quackery is this? That's how I felt about it at the time. Right. And then the summer when I was feeling really bad, I was like, you know what? maybe I should try it. It got to a point where I got desperate. And in that moment of desperation, I was like, let me go ahead, you know, let's get an appointment and let me see what they say about me. And so I, I did the testing and EBV was one of the things that popped up as being the more significant, right? So that's all I focused on. Didn't even read the rest of what was going on with me. And 2018, I got another, um, bioenergy test. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go back and read the one from 2016 to see if they match up. And sure enough, they did. So I did have it the whole time. I just was living in my own world and I never put two and two together. So were you, were you treating the Epstein-Barr virus in any way during that two-year window before you went back for your second energy test? Yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of supplements, antivirals. Um, we did the, it was called the Hocket. So it was a ozone therapy machine, right? Loved it. Love, love, loved it. Um, and then that, that was kind of the extent of what I did for my Epstein-Barr. Yeah. Now, were you treating with the same doctor who had given you the energy test for your Epstein bar or did you treat somewhere else? No, it was the same. It was the same doctor. Yeah. Now, when you were treating with the doctor for the Epstein bar um, diagnosis, did the doctor ever say to you, hey, uh, you know, Lyme disease is immunosuppressive. Um, you have Lyme disease. And although the more serious presentation is the Epstein bar, it is the, the result of the immunosuppression from the Lyme and we need to treat the Lyme as well. 
So when I went back for my second test, that was kind of when it came up, right? That's when I start because they technically never would give you a diagnosis. They wouldn't say you have Lyme disease. They wouldn't Epstein-Barr virus. It was a virus, right? So that was a little bit different than saying you had a disease. Um, so at that point I kind of asked questions, right. And I was like, eh, there's something off. So the second time was when we got into Lyme with me. Now, what happened during that two year window where you had the undisclosed diagnosis, and then you finally got your diagnosis, were you getting better? Were, were you getting worse? Were your symptoms saying the same? And what was happening during that two year window? I did get better. So when I started doing the supplements and the hot get, I was seeing improvement. So once I got, I got to a little part and then plateaued kind of, right. It was improvement and then a plateau. And when I got to that plateau, I was feeling good enough. Right. So I was continuing to work, et cetera, and it was fine. And then 2018, I don't even know what it was, but I was like, well, let me get tested again. And I was, it, at that point, I was like, okay. So what was going on with your husband in that 2016 to 2018 window? Meaning how were his symptoms developing and how was he treated? So at that point he was, we were both doing the same things, obviously different supplements, right? We weren't on the same supplement. We each had our own um, protocol that we were doing, but he was doing supplements. He was doing the Hockett. He was doing Rife, uh, the Rife machine, and then what else was he doing at that clinic? Um, I think that was kind of the extent of it. He went on a very strict diet, right? For just to help with eliminating an inflammation. Um, and that was kind of the extent of what he did during that two, two year period. And he was maintaining, but 2000. 18. It's so weird. All of it is just so it's crazy. But 2018, there was a point where he was just like, I'm not getting better. I mean, I'm maintaining, but I'm not getting better. And that's when we decided to move to Florida in 2018. Uh, well, we had planned to move eventually. Right. But 2018, I think it was June. He was like, that's it. He woke up one day and he said, we're moving. I need to get better and I need to be near the water. Um, and now I read all these articles about how the water is a healing element. Right. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty funny. We ended up by the water. So I've turned a little bit of into a, um, I don't want to say hippie, but a hippie. Right. But that's, so. that's super common. I mean, I started off very traditional and Western, and now I'm at the point where I'm viewed as a hippie by many people I work with and many of my friends, because it's what right. helps us. It helps us get better. And that's ultimately what we're looking for is we want to feel better. And if those natural modalities help us, then, hey, we're going to do them, right? I mean, that's that's the approach I think all of yeah. us take. So, yeah. Nick, talk to us about the Hockett Ozone Machine, because I don't think we've ever heard of, of that particular machine before. So obviously you used it, your husband used it. Give us an idea of what that machine is like and how it helped you even before you got diagnosed with Lyme with your EBV diagnosis. Yeah. So it's, it's a capsule and you sit in it and it literally pushes ozone into your pores. So it's kind of like doing the hyperbaric chamber. It's very similar to that. 
And yeah. how do you feel when you do it? So, so it's, it's sort of like hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So you're getting into a chamber. It's, it's airtight, I guess. Right. So it's sort of this insulated chamber. You're, so your whole body is in a, is in a capsule except for your head. And then they do, um, they give you oxygen while you're doing it. And it just, it gets hot in there and wet feeling. Well, it was probably my sweat. Cause it gets really hot. It's, it's like a combination of sauna slash, oh, what else could I put with it? So I don't it, know, but you so they're raising the temperature. So they're, they're increasing the temperature. They're giving yeah. you oxygen, well, like oxygen, like, like in the nose, like you would see somebody in the yeah. hospital, like that kind of oxygen. Yeah. Oxygen in the nose. And then they're pumping, um, I want to say, and I may be wrong, but I want to say CO3, right in the actual capsule. So it's going into your pores and it's supposed to help with a lot of things just because it gets that. You're getting, you're getting ozone. You're getting, you're yeah. getting a sauna essentially. Right. And you're getting yeah, the you're detoxing, you're detoxing yeah. and, and oxygenating your blood is really important as well when you're trying to detox and heal and kill pathogens. So you're getting really the, the trio combo there. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fantastic. It was a little pricey, obviously. Right. And, um, at that point we had dropped our insurance because they weren't paying for any of the things that we were doing. So that's a whole level of complexity right there, but it was worth every penny. I mean, we went, both of us did it weekly. It was, we had to. Nick, were you or your husband heat intolerant? When I was really sick, I became extremely heat intolerant where I would just get a major symptom flare with heat. Did you or your husband ever experience that? I did. I still do, actually. I I, I can't do... And it's weird because we live in Florida and it's hot, right? I was just thinking that. Like, you're in Florida. I would die in Florida. Yeah. No, it's 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 not. It's it's different. It's like if I walk into a room and someone has the heat on in there, I instantly just, I start sweating. I get, I'm not going to say angry, but it makes me very irritable just the minute I hit heat. Right. And so wait, people turn the heat on in Florida. That's, that's, that's necessary in that hot climate. Um, they may not turn the heat on, but they don't turn the air on I'm as just being silly. it should be. <laughs> So, so yeah. <laughs> so but I'm, I'm glad you're describing that because it's something that I found very hard to communicate, especially when I was cognitively impaired. And I was trying to communicate to my friends and family what I was feeling like. And I think you just explained it really well. It makes you irritable. It kind of activates symptoms. Can you give us a little more detail? Because I wish I had those words that you just described when I was really sick. It may help people that are listening that are heat intolerant explain it to their loved ones that are around them, you know, in a better way. So can you give us a little more detail about how you felt with that heat intolerance? Um, so I don't know, I, I, am not going through menopause yet. So I don't know that hot flashes feel like this, but I would imagine it is what hot flashes would feel like. Right. It's just you, if you walk into somewhere where it's hot, you instant, it's just like instant irritated, my feet swell, my hands start to swell. I start sweating profusely. And then like my, I feel my core temperature just getting hot right at the core. You know, when people say you're chilled to the bone, yes. well, it's the exact extreme opposite. Like I feel my core just heating. Um, so that's probably the best way I can describe that. 
Oh, I wish I knew you, Nick, when I was sick, because I could have explained that to my family who kept saying to me, what do you feel like? What is going on with you right now? And, and you just explained that better than, than I could have ever explained it. So thank you for that. Now, this I want to go back to this. Am I saying right? Is it a hocket? How do you can you spell it for our listeners that may want Hockett. to? So it's H-O-C-A-T-T. Okay. Now, and you had to obviously go to your practitioner's office to get this treatment, correct? Uh, we did. I don't know that you necessarily have to go to a practitioner to get it because I know there's a lot of like wellness spas that do the hyperbaric chambers, right? And the, and the reason I ask the, the whole heat intolerance question, now bringing you back to the hockey is I've always wanted to do an infrared sauna. I'm really not as heat intolerant. I mean, I still am a little bit, but not nearly as much as I was, but I was always turned off to a sauna because of that heat intolerance. So you were having those symptoms. You were flaring, you know, emotionally, physically from heat, but yet you still did this treatment. What was that? Did it flare your symptoms even more being in the hocket because of your heat intolerance? You know, it, it didn't. And even now, even now I do the sauna, I'll do a sauna and sweat, even with still having these, um, heat intolerances, like I'll still do the sauna, but I think it's also a mental thing, right? When I walk into a sauna, I know that I'm going to get hot. I'm mentally prepared for that heat. When I just walk into a random place and get hit with heat and my, I haven't mentally prepared for it. I think that does make a big difference. I know when I go to a sauna, I'm going to sweat. So I am dressed appropriately to sweat. I have my water with me where I can drink water if I get hot. And I know that that is the purpose. I know it's going to last 20, 30 minutes and then I'm out, go home, take a shower. Right. So I do think the, the mental part has a lot to do with being able to tolerate it versus not. And I think knowing your threshold, Nick, right? Like what is something that yeah. is an acceptable level of discomfort versus what is something that's going to set you back and give you a week worth of hell because you push too hard. And I think you're reading your body to learn those levels, right? Right, right. Exactly. And I know that when I go to the, to the sauna or when I was doing the hockey, I knew that when I got out, I would feel a hundred times better. So for me, dealing with that 20, 30 minutes of heat was worth it for the reward afterwards. And while you were in it, it really wasn't that bad. Cause like people like myself, I'm asking for myself and others, you know, maybe we should just suck it up and try it. You know, maybe, maybe low heat, short duration, just to see how we react to those types of things. Yeah. And they can do that. And, and it wasn't as bad because here's the thing, your head was out, your head is out of the capsule, right? So you, and in fact, I actually had a fan that blew on my face while my body was in the capsule. So Nick, let's talk about the financial impact because you did mention that you dropped insurance because nothing was covered anyway. So why pay for insurance? And obviously you're spending a ton of money on you and your husband. And now as you're getting sicker, I'm, I'm imagining you're, you're not able to be as productive at work. What kind of financial impact is this having over the two-year window from the time you were 30 to 32 before you got your diagnosis when you were trying to address your EBV and unknown Lyme at the time and also treat your husband's Lyme disease? So at that time, you know, it was, it was tough because it was a lot of money, but we were both still working at that point. So we were still making money. So it was, it was okay. Right. We were like, oh, you know, we're not going out to eat as much anymore, which we couldn't anyways, though, because we were both trying to get better. Right. I, I still would go to eat. I 
I got to give it to my husband. He was so disciplined. Whatever they told him to do, he did. I, I cannot, I don't think I have ever met or will ever meet anyone as disciplined as him. Um, so he was really good about that. So during that time period, the financial part, it hurt because we were like, oh, we are spending a lot of money, but we were still making money. So it was okay. After we moved to Florida in 2018, my husband quit doing those treatments that he was doing right while we were in Georgia and his line spiraled out of control. And so 2019, the end of 2018 and the beginning of 2019, I quit working. Luckily we had money saved up, but I quit working. Obviously he was working. I was taking care of him while trying to take care of myself. We went through our savings. We ended up having to sell our house in Atlanta to be able to pay to take care of him because he got so sick. He almost passed away. He, my husband is six, three, and he dropped down to 135 pounds at one point. So sorry. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's part of our journey. So we're here. He's here. So, right. Um, but I was at home, I was taking care of him. And at that point, that's when, that's when we felt it. At one point, my sister set up a GoFundMe account for us and we had people that donated. And so that helped us through a few months. And then he started to get a little bit better towards the end of 2019. So I started working again and slowly we dug ourselves out of that hole again. So Nick, we're going to come back to your diagnosis and what you did initially to treat once you got your Lyme diagnosis in 2018 yeah. when you were 32. But I do want to ask a question because it's related to what we're talking about now. It's super uncommon for marriages and relationships to last when somebody gets chronic Lyme. We've had a few, but out of 275 plus podcast episodes, it's extremely rare. Here you are, your husband nearly passed from Lyme disease you were extremely debilitated from Lyme disease. We know there's a severe physical and emotional tolls that are taken on the human body from chronic Lyme disease, yet you managed to get through it and you're still together. So give us an idea of what that was like, the struggles you had to go through and how you overcame them to maintain a successful romantic relationship throughout all of this on both sides. Um, I mean, you know, it wasn't easy, but he, he's my person. So, you know, but they, I, I think you're being a little humble here. There has to be more, right? Because yeah. again, with an illness like this, it's just really, really hard to get through. I mean, there's so many, there's so many emotional components and I feel like you have to be super communicative with your partner. You have to really do certain things to be able to get through it. So give us an idea of what it was like, some of the struggles you had and some of the things you did to get through them and have a stronger relationship because of it. Yeah. I mean, communication was definitely, um, super important. Right. So I remember actually we were walking downtown at one point when he probably at one of his lowest points, um, we were walking downtown and I, I remember this, you know, that year was such a blur because it was, it was traumatic. We had to do therapy afterwards, um, but this, I remember we were walking and we were in front of craft cafe, downtown St. Pete, which is a fantastic gluten-free little spot, but 
we were walking and he just looked at me, you know, and tears started to roll down his face. And he was like, am I ever going to get better? And it broke my heart, but I was like, yeah, you're going to get better. We're going to get through this. You know, we're in this together. And that phrase we're in this together, we were using before COVID. So when I say that phrase and when people say that phrase with COVID, I'm like, they don't know what we're in this together really means. Right. Um, to me, it has a completely different meaning. So anyway, so I was like, we're going to get through it. You know, we're in this together. And that we actually got married that year, 2019. In fact, we thought about postponing our wedding, but it was a destination wedding for everyone coming. And we're like, we can't do it. We had chairs set up if he couldn't make it through the wedding for him to sit down. If you look at our wedding video, people that know him know that he was sick because of the way he physically looked. But if you just look at the video, you probably wouldn't know that he was sick. Right. Um, but anyways, communication was definitely one of them. And every time I saw, I saw that he was down, it was like, I had to remind him that we're going to get through it. There is light at the end of the tunnel. It was a team effort. We were, we have a thing We're team Forbes, right? We always get through it and get to the end. And honestly, it all came down to just faith, having hope. But I think it's, I think what's so, and I'm so sorry that you both have had to go through this, but what I think is so beautiful is that despite going through this horrible journey, this horrible illness, you got married when you were just getting over the worst of your health journey, right? I mean, that shows how strong your relationship is that you still got married despite being so sick and all the hurdles that were thrown at both of you in your health journeys. Yeah. So actually when we got married, we were in the midst of his lowest point. And at the wedding, one of our friends is the one who um, married us. He made a joke. He's like, well, in sickness and in health, and we see how that's working out. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I mean, you, you can't give up on people, you know, then they end up giving up on themselves. Nick, let's circle back now to your diagnosis. Well, even before that, yeah. I, I know I'm kind of bouncing around chronologically and I apologize. There's so many good no, parts of your story fine. here. So from 30 to 32 with the EBV, the hot, the, the hot kit worked. What else were you doing? You mentioned supplements. Was there anything else that helped you feel better? Because you said that you were feeling better before your Lyme diagnosis because of your, your EBV treatment, right? And to Richard's yeah. point, EBV is an opportunistic virus. If you had mono, you have EBV in your body and your immune system manages it. But if there are other factors going on, it can cause you to be very sick, like Lyme disease and EBV, right? So I'm sure right. a lot of things you were doing were also probably helping or addressing Lyme, but you didn't even know it. So what else were you doing besides the hot kit and supplements? And, and what supplements were you taking? Do you, do you recall the specific types of supplements or herbs and things you were doing? I could get you a list. God, there were so many of them. Um, I don't even know what all I was on. I was on a lot of homeopathics, right? Um, so I did do a lot of those and then just different supplements. At one point I actually, and I don't know where this fit in, but I do remember at one point I was on DIM, which is something that they use in conjunction with chemotherapy for breast cancer patients. So like my hormones were all out of whack too. I mean, I was just. What's DIM? D-I-M? Am, am, am I saying that right? So yeah. it's a chemotherapy drug? Mm -hmm. No, they, they use it in conjunction from what I understand. I can be completely wrong. 
Um, but from what I understand, they use it in conjunction with to help. So I don't know how or why I ended up on that, but I do remember that one because I was like, oh, this is different. Um, but I don't know. I took just supplements, homeopaths. I ate, I did try to eat healthier, especially when my husband was doing it just to be supportive of him. I started doing it. And in turn that did help me feel better. Right. So I, I did just quickly Google DIM and chemotherapy, and it looks like DIM is actually an inhibitor of cancer cells, but it's also been shown to enhance activity of enzymes in your liver to strengthen your liver. And we know your liver is important to detox. We know your liver is important there in we go. flushing out toxins as you're killing toxins, right? So it makes sense why this would help you as well. And you know, it also talks about these enzymes that are a byproduct of, of getting DIM are really important for healthy estrogen metabolism to reduce the risk of cancer as well. And we just had a previous guest tell us how women in particular, and even men sometimes have an overproduction of estrogen, which actually is really harmful for your health as well. And can be a horrible combination with Lyme disease. So it makes sense in reading this, why DIM would have helped you while on your EBV journey before your Lyme diagnosis, right? Yep. So there did, we go. When you took, did you feel good when you, I mean, so I always like to ask, how did you feel when you took these things? Right. So we talked about the, the hockey, the supplements, you were on a whole bunch of homeopathic tinctures. And now we're talking about dim. So when you, when is dim, is it a pill? Is it an injection? How? No, how it, so I don't know how they offer how, all the different forms they offer it in, but I took it in a liquid form. And was it something you noticed something like a short-term impact or was it something that really didn't have an impact on you? And it was just a more of a gradual, more of a gradual, more of a gradual. And I will say that was probably the thing that I had the hardest time with because everything that we did was very gradual. Nothing was overnight, right? It was weeks and weeks of having to do these things to honestly, at the time I didn't even, what I, what I know while you're doing it, you don't even realize you feel better when you notice that you felt better was the day you don't do it. Right. And you feel like crap. And then you're like, Oh, I really need to do that stuff because I can tell a difference between when I am and when I'm not doing it. Oh, Nick, what is that analogy? And I'm going to, Rich is going to laugh at me, but it, what is it? A, when you, when you boil a frog, he doesn't know it. What's, what am I trying to say here? It's like that effect, right? Rich, if you know, jump in, I'm, I'm making a fool of myself here. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say, Nick? I no, I don't. But. All right. Well, what I'm trying to say is there's an analogy that I'm, I'm clearly butchering so bad that you're not, you're not sure what I'm talking about. It's a, such a <laughs> gradual effect that as you're starting to get better little by little, you don't realize the improvement you make until you have a bad day is what I'm trying to say. Right. So yeah. I think that's, that's yeah. kind of where you were. It was so slow that you couldn't appreciate your gains because it was such a slow progression of improvement you're saying. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So, and, and I know Rich talked to you about this, but if you were feeling better, why did you go back and get another bioenergy test for, you know, two years later when you get your Lyme diagnosis, if you're feeling better, I feel like there's something there that we didn't explore deep enough yet. Um, because I was feeling better, but I still didn't feel like I was at my full potential of best. Right. So you knew that there was still something else going on, that you were there feeling was still, better. that something was still off. Yeah. So you were listening, we call it body signals. We like, we like that term here at Tick Bootcamp. So you, your body was giving you signals that you were feeling better, but there was still something else that had to be addressed. So you went back, got the scan, and you realized Lyme was in the picture and you really had to address that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, and uh, honest, go ahead. Oh, no, please, you go. No, I was going to say, and after I got that, so like I knew it was Lyme, but at that point, 
my husband was getting so bad. I put my Lyme on the back burner, but I put my Lyme on the back burner, you know, not really addressing it. I'm going to say honestly until last year. So you got diagnosed in 2018, but didn't really do anything to address it because your husband was so sick, right? And, and context-wise, I, I like to zoom out and think about this chronologically again, where in 2018, you get diagnosed very shortly after you moved to Florida, and now you're focusing yeah. on your health because he's in crisis and you're not addressing your own Lyme at this point, correct? Yeah. So at that point, I was doing the things that I knew, right? But not anything going above that. It was just, I was maintaining at that, at that point. And in the realm of the things that you knew, is there anything else you were doing to help your health that we didn't already discuss beyond the supplements, things like that, you know, diet, lifestyle, sleep, even, even little things that are tips and tricks that can help yeah. people have a little bit better quality of life while they're treating. Um, no, that, I mean, that was about it. Yeah. I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't even do yoga at that point anymore because my wrists hurt so bad. I couldn't hold a downward dog. Right. So even some of the things that they're like, oh, you have Lyme, go do yoga. And I'm like, no, I can't do yoga because I can't hold any of the positions. Everything I do, it hurts. Um, so just sauna, I did a lot of massages. Um, oddly enough, those help and like lymph massages are fantastic, but eating healthy supplements and just kind of just the stuff that I knew that was it. That was all that I did. So walk us through. So now you're in Florida, <clears throat> you're putting your treatment on hold. What were you doing with your husband to treat his declining and alarming progression of Lyme disease? Oh, all right. So we did supplements, right? Obviously we did ozone therapy. So like IV ozone therapy, we did glutathione. Um, we did SOT. That was one of the ther therapies that we did. And do not ask me to pronounce it because the only word I supportive, that's the only word out of SOT that I know. Um, you may have to Google it. Nicoletta, I can't <laughs> even say your name. That's why I'm calling you Nick. For everybody listening, I call you Nicoletta and it's not proper. So I'm calling you Nick on this podcast. So I'm going to try to, uh, I will not try to butcher the SOT, but can you explain to us? Cause we, SOT has been a topic that we've been hearing a lot about and it's sort of, you know, I think a promising area that may be able to help some people that, that have tried a lot of different things. So can you give us a general idea of what it is and how it either did or didn't help your husband? Yeah. So, um, SOT, it was a clinic here in Florida that actually did it, but you go in, of course you have to have, so keep, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this because I know there's a lot of people that are probably listening that are like, Oh, it was just a bioenergy test. How do you even know that you actually have one? My husband did go in and get a blood work that was through hygienics, right? Um, because this clinic requires either DNA connections, hygienics, <clears throat> blood test before they'll do SOT. But anyway, so what you do, you go in, they actually take, um, a, I don't know if it's a couple or just one, but they take your blood and they send it off to Greece. And then there they create almost like antibodies and then they send it back and they put it back in you. So how I understand it, Nick, is that SOT is basically the analysis of your blood to see what pathogens exist. Then they send it overseas to create sort of the, you know, the killer of that, right? Yeah. And then they build this killer or sort of like this killer drug that's going to kill the bad stuff in you. They ship it back to the States. 
they inject that into you. And what it does is it shuts down the pathogen. It kills the pathogen. Correct. Is that, is that what happens at a high level? Yeah. I know I'm probably, you know, speaking super high, but it, I know this is really, this is really sciencey. It is. And I, I probably am not even explaining it correctly, to be honest, but from what I understand that, you know, Lyme has the bacteria has a life cycle and if it can't replicate, then eventually it should die off. Right. That's the basis behind it. Right. Um, so SOT was kind of what got us over the hump. That was that pivotal moment in his treatment that just took him over, over the edge in the right direction. And at this point we were actually working, well, we still do He's our doctor now, but we worked with, um, a doctor out of technically forest city. So San Francisco area out of California. And it, the way we met, it was fantastic, but he had Lyme disease. His wife had Lyme and their son had Lyme. So he became a Lyme specialist. He's an MD and he became a Lyme specialist. And he, I mean, he's just, he's been a godsend, but anyways, he was like, oh, you want to try SOT? Let's try it. You, You know, everything that we wanted to try and do, he was like, okay, well, you know, you can do it with that clinic. He worked in conjunction with whatever clinic we were working with to do some of these things. Yeah. So I just wanted to, so he, your husband was declining and SOT is what rebounded him and really rubber banded him forward in the right direction to start feeling better. Is that, so you think, yeah. do you believe that SOT was a powerful and a worthwhile treatment for your husband? I think it was. Yeah. Because it gave him that, that glimpse of hope that, that things can get better. Right. And while SOT can be a little bit pricey, there's no amount of, there's no number you can put on someone having hope that they're going to get better. Right. And to allow them to continue to fight every day. So he did SOT and after SOT, he did Lyme N, which he did through a nebulizer. Um, I'm gonna let you Google Lyman. <laughs> okay, so for everybody listening, before we get to Lyme N, I wanna talk about, so SOT, if people wanna learn more, they can just Google SOT and Lyme, but I'm gonna try to say it, and I'm sorry in advance, supportive oligonucleotide therapy is what I believe it is, and if I said it wrong, I'm sorry, but if you try to Google that, SOT and Lyme, you're gonna get a ton of information. And I know in Florida, one of the clinics we hear a lot about, or the, you know, these treatment centers is the Genesis Center. Is that where you were treating? Or are you comfortable sharing with us where you were treating in Florida? Um, you know what? I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. Hold on. I can tell you. It was in Sarasota. Um, I and, will tell you what the, what the name of it is. And what I find really interesting is you had a team of doctors, Nick, right? So you were coordinating with a doctor, it sounds like in California, who was helping you get treatment in Florida. And then you had a team of doctors in Florida that were co- collaborating with him. And collectively you had all this, this like, this like doctor house style team working on you and your husband. It sounds like. I mean, yes. And even, well, and even our therapist, like our doctor actually connected us to a therapist that had, she actually had Lyme disease. So it's just the whole thing coming together was just, I mean, it was amazing. Um, but it was Florida integrative medical center. That's who we were working with. I'm sorry, who, who, who was it? It was the Florida Integrative Medical Center. Gotcha. Thank you. 
So Lime N is a nebulizer treatment, you said. So something you inhale, I think is what that means, right? So something sort of like you put over and you breathe in some sort of substance, right? Is that, is that what that means? Yeah. Okay. Correct. And not to get too sciencey because I'm not a scientist and I know you're not as well. What is the idea behind it? Is it supposed to kill the Lyme? Is it supposed to boost the immune system? What's the theory behind Lyme N? Because we really haven't heard much about that on this podcast. So it's supposed to get rid of it? And was this by the doctor in California? Whose idea was it? And who brought this up for you? Um, he had mentioned that there was a product out there that, you know, some people wanted to use, some people didn't. Um, and the way you do it, the way, the way that we had to do it was you pay a donation for it. It was an expensive donation. Um, and then that's how we got it. You could, you could, I don't know if you still can, but when we did it, there was a website you could go to and order it. So essentially you're not buying the therapy, you're making a donation and then you're gifted the treatment. Is that the idea? I guess maybe I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. And as we're talking, I'm Googling this Nick. So if people want to learn more about Lime N, it's the best way to find it on, on a search engine is Lime dash N. So I was trying Lime N one word, Lime N as N as yeah. a separate letter. Sorry. I should have told you that. Yeah. It's no. Lime dash N. Yep. So Lime yeah. dash N and there's a lot of information out there about it. And there's a lot of people that have had success with it as well. So this, it is, there's limited information about what's in it, but I'm sure if you do contact these people online, you can get more information and it's, it's a inhaled treatment that has really helped a lot of people turn around their, their healing journey. So all right, so let's talk about this. So now your husband is finally getting better. He's using SOT, starts to bounce back. He's getting line N. He's getting his life back little by little. When do you start to say, hey, I'm still really sick and I have to focus on my health now that we're finally getting my husband out of his crisis? Uh, last year. Because <laughs> I had to start working. So, you know, I, I mean, I just, I do the things that I knew to do. I was doing those. And now I'm finally getting to a point where I can start doing all the extra things again. Right. So I don't know if SOT is going to be in, if I'm going to do SOT, to be honest, um, not because I don't believe in it, but I'm just like terrified of the whole needle, the blood, the, just all of that. So I am trying to take a more natural approach to it. And my Lyme, one of the things I think that really throws people off is that they think that if someone has Lyme, every person's diagnosis and symptoms, et cetera, should look the same. And it doesn't. No two people have the same experience with Lyme. They can have similar experiences, right? But there's different levels of it and different experiences with it. So my experience is completely different than what my husband's experience was. In fact, most of our friends, most, a lot of my family doesn't even know that I have Lyme. This is the first time anyone who listens to this, that knows me, this is probably where they'll find out for the first time that I have Lyme. And I never really said anything because I never wanted to take away from my husband's experience. I never wanted anyone to discredit what Lyme could do to you because they look at me and I look normal and I function and I work still right where he almost passed away from it. 
But I, I understand that. And there is different there. It's a spectrum. Some people can have, you know, Lyme and have symptoms like joint pain and get on with their life, but still, but still have pain and symptoms that are correlated to untreated or late stage Lyme. Other people can be completely debilitated and possibly lose their lives like your husband. And that's the two ends of the spectrum. But just because you're functioning and you quote unquote, look normal. And I'm going to mention Katie DePaola again. We talked about her last night. We did an Instagram live with Dr. Casey Kelly and she wrote a book all about, you know, people thinking that you look good. So you must feel good, right? This whole invisible illness right. concept. Well, just because Nick looks good and she's putting on a good act to be there to support her husband doesn't mean that she feels good, right? So I'm sure you, you felt like crap on the inside. I'm sure you were suffering on the inside, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I still do, you know, people ask, how are you doing? And my response every day is I'm tired. And of course, when I say I'm tired, they probably get the, oh, well, you need to sleep more, you know, you need to sleep better. And I'm like, no, we're not talking about the same tired, the same type of tired. I am exhausted. Like inside of me, I'm exhausted. I am exhausted mentally, sometimes physically, but just, I feel like I've been in fight or flight since literally 2018 for sure. Right. Especially with my husband. Um, but since, since 2016, ever since I had that summer of EBV, I just feel like it's been fight or flight ever since that's the type of tired that I am. I'm just, I'm tired. Nick, I, I wonder, and I'm sorry, if this is too personal, please just tell us, but you know, the, this, this discussion gets brought up a lot privately to us in DMs and messages we get. Do you believe that Lyme disease can be sexually transmitted and that either you or your husband gave it to the other partner? I, I do believe that. Um, I, so whenever I did my bioenergy test on that test, it had the, the breakout of the different strands, right? And so I had a couple of strands that are known to only be found in Eastern Europe which would make sense. That would mean that my mom probably passed it to me at some point, or I got bit as a child. I got infected as a baby, right. Um, being born in Romania, Eastern Europe, but then my husband and I did have a strand that was the same. So did I get it from him? I don't know. I can't say that I did. I can't say that I didn't. Do I believe it can be sexually transmitted? Absolutely. Because that's what Lyme special Lyme specialists think. Right. And for so long, they have been telling Lyme specialists have been telling everyone that you can pass it mother to child. And it wasn't until if I'm not mistaking 2021, that the CDC finally updated their website that you can pass it mother to child. So I'm like, the CDC is so far behind on what is actually going on with Lyme. At this point, I'm going to trust a Lyme specialist over information that's not already out there on the CDC website, right? Nick, I wonder, you know, so it's even more interesting that you have multiple strains of Lyme disease. You have, you have a Lyme bacteria from Eastern Europe, and you have another one that is the same strain as your husband, right? So do you think right. you, were, you were possibly infected at multiple points in your life, possibly congenital Lyme from your mom? Maybe your mom gave you Lyme, you know, at birth. Maybe you were bit as a child and got infected again with different strains. And then maybe you, you know, you pass that on to your husband or your husband passed the strain on to you. Do you think that's a possibility and that over time you were getting sicker and sicker and sicker because you were possibly getting reinfected with various strains of Lyme and maybe other co-infections? 
Absolutely. Were you ever diagnosed with anything besides Lyme, either through, you know, blood work, energy, you know, energy testing, et cetera? Um, Bartonella, Babesia, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, um, and then MCAs. So mast cell activation syndrome syndrome. Um, and I can tell that when I keep my inflammation down, the rest of me feels a lot better. Inflammation is for sure something I think that needs to be addressed. And are you doing anything today that helps with inflammation that you can give as a recommendation, even if it's just stretching yoga, you know, trying to move your body, it can be something super simple or it can be a supplement you're taking anything you can share with our listeners that helps you with inflammation. Yeah, That's so, a really common problem. Yeah. Cryotherapy. I love cryotherapy, right? I mean, it, for me, I walk in there and I walk out of that machine, the little enclosure, I walk out of there and I feel like I just drank two cups of coffee. I mean, it instantly boosts my energy, my clarity. That's probably my favorite thing to do is cryotherapy. So we got two extremes here. You're going into, I know, right? You're going into this like sauna hockey thing with ozone and, and heat and oxygen and you're sweating your ass off and then you're going and you're yep. freezing your ass off in, in cryotherapy, right? So, I mean, compare and contrast for us, right? What are the therapeutic benefits you feel from the heat versus the cold? Um, the heat, well, the heat makes me sweat. So I feel like with the heat, I'm getting rid of toxins where with the cold, it just helps the inflammation in my body. Nick, walk us through what it's like to get cryotherapy because it just sounds scary, right? I feel like when I hear the word cryotherapy, I'm like, are you going and getting like freezing your body? You're going into a freezer and sitting in a freezer in a chair? Like what, what is it like, you know, to actually to go in and get a cryotherapy session? Yeah. So taking a cold shower and doing cryotherapy feels different. Like they're both cold, right? I do the cold showers too. And my husband's like, I don't know how you do it. I can't do it, you know, but I just, I've gotten to a point where I've learned to the biggest thing is relax your body while you're doing it and just try to like stay in that relaxed mental state and it helps. But cryotherapy is not a wet cold. It's a dry cold, right? Just like you have summers and then you have Arizona, which is dry heat, right? So it's the opposite on the cold side, but you go into, there's different types of machines. Some of them you're like, you're from the neck up, you're exposed, you're out. Um, and then there's somewhere you can be fully enclosed in a capsule and it's super cold, but it get, you put gloves on, you put little booties on socks, and then you can put earmuffs on. Um, and I recommend doing that. And what I do is I put my hands over my nose so that when I breathe in, my nostrils aren't, don't have little icicles. Right. Um, but you go in and you can do it for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, you can build up to it. They can do it a little bit colder. They can leave. So I do one that's fully enclosed and I leave a little slot open and they play music in there and you just, I relax and I get really, really cold. And then before you know it, time's up and you walk out and that's it. It's How long really do you do it for? not that scary. How long do you do it for Nick? 
Um, I started with a minute and I've gotten up to two minutes. And to make it a little bit more enticing, because the thought of freezing sounds horrible, what benefits do you see pretty short term after doing cryotherapy? For me, it sounds like, you know, I, I've heard it decreases inflammation and therefore you're going to get pain relief and other symptom release. But for you and your symptoms, how does it help you when you walk out of that cryo chamber? So for example, if I know I'm going to have a busy day and I'm feeling a little foggy or a little tired, fatigued, I can go do cryotherapy and I get my boost of energy that I need for the day. Does it help you from a pain standpoint as well and inflammation or for you, is it, is it heavy, just the, the brain fog and the energy? So honestly, I've never paid attention to the, the pain. I do it more so for clarity of the mind, right? Just to have clarity and that fogginess. Yeah. Now, I know you mentioned that Rife was in the picture as well, for both you and your husband. So walk us through if Rife was something that was helpful for you or not so much. I don't know if Rife really helped or not. I, I don't know because it wasn't one of those, like with the Hockett, I felt like I could feel with the Hockett that it was helping because I was going in there and I was sweating. So I could feel my body doing something. But with the Rife, you just sit in a room with a light. Right. So I can't, I, I can't say that it helped and I can't say that it didn't. I don't know. Did we miss anything that you've done to help with Lyme disease and all of the, the, the problems you're having with your health over the last year that you've been able to focus on your health now? Um, I don't think so. Glutathione is a big one. I'm a big fan of glutathione. Um, and then, you know, there's so many little things that I didn't even realize like Tylenol, for example, right? We quit taking Tylenol. We no longer do Tylenol. We do ibuprofen instead. Why'd you um, make that change? Because Tylenol affects your glutathione levels and glutathione is your body's natural antiviral, right? So wait, Tylenol decreases the natural production of glutathione in your body? From what I understand, here's the thing. I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a doctor, but just from what I understand. So we quit taking Tylenol. And ibuprofen is a anti-inflammatory and probably works just as well, if not better than Tylenol, but it's not having a negative impact on your glutathione levels to help you overcome chronic life, right? Correct. Right. Like you're trying to fight something, you're trying to fight a virus or a bacteria, but then you're taking Tylenol, which does the complete opposite of what glutathione, I mean, it, just the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is so many of us have been through this journey and we get prescription medication to help with symptom relief. That's not really getting to the core of the problem, which look, we need, sometimes we need to do things to get symptom relief while we're right. going through the journey. And, I, and that's valid and real. And I, and I've done that and I'm doing that. Right. But I think when you, when you start to be more knowledgeable. Some of these things you're doing that are pharmaceuticals or even non-pharmaceuticals can be over the counter, right? Things like, like Tylenol, they can be having a consequence or a byproduct on your health that you're not even aware of that can be making your healing journey more difficult. And there could be an alternative that's not having that negative effect on your body. And so many, there's so many things like that. I'm glad you brought that up because it's important to think like that, right? I mean, our gut right. health is huge. We're taking a ton of, a ton of pills, you know, a ton of, a ton of medicine from, you know, pharmaceuticals. 
eventually it's going to take a toll on your gut. So you can counter that by doing some gut supplements. You can counter that by doing more natural alternatives that can have the same, you know, results to help you with your symptoms. So I think that's a really important concept to weigh the pro and con of a therapy, whether it's for a real treatment or a symptom relief tool. Right. I mean, that's, that's where I'm coming from with this. Yeah, absolutely. So you've never done, you didn't do Lyme N and you didn't do SOT, but it sounds like you're thinking about SOT, Nick, right? Um, I'm not, I'm not thinking about SOT. I probably will look into Lyme N. Um, that I probably will do. Yeah. But so the doctor that we have, he is very big on, you have to treat, there is a hierarchy to treatment, right? If you have mast cell or mold toxicity and your body is in a state of inflammation, you're not going to get better no matter what you do. So he treats in different levels, like he peels the onion, right? You got to go through the layers. And so Lyme N is going to be one of my last layers. So so this is the order of operations concept that we've, we've talked about on this podcast, Correct. where you have to do things in order. And sometimes if you do something out of order, you have to come back to it because your body wasn't ready or couldn't get the optimal benefit because something else was preventing you from receiving that, that benefit of that treatment is what you're saying, right? Correct. So Correct. How do you plan on with your current doctor addressing the mast cell activation syndrome, the inflammation, and it sounds like possible mycotoxin or mold exposure that you mentioned as well. What are you doing to look at those things now? Yeah, I'm okay on the mold toxicity. So I'm, I'm lucky with that. Um, but a lot of people do have it. And here's the sad part. A lot of people have it and don't even realize that they have it. Right. Uh, well, a lot of these things, a lot of people have it and they don't realize that they have it. They just know something's wrong, but mast cell, I, to get that under control, it's a very, very, very strict low histamine diet. Um, no fermented foods, none of that, no leftovers, no kombucha, no kombucha. Mm -mm. No, it is so hard. And here's the thing. I have tried to do this diet so many times and I failed because it is just so tough. And that's why when I say my husband is the most disciplined person, he is, he's done this diet a couple of times and you do it for like as long as you need to until your um, markers regarding your inflammation and until they show what they're supposed to show. Right. So that I'm sure there's pharmaceuticals that can help with inflammation, but I am taking a natural approach to my, to my journey. And natural, I mean, has worked wonders in my journey and I've done both. I've done Western and Eastern and I've done pharmaceutical and I've done natural and, you know, both have had a benefit in my healing journey, but at the present state I'm in, I'm, I'm with you, I'm doing a natural approach. Right. But for the MCAS, besides diet, are you doing anything else to address the inflammation to get your body ready to move on to Lyme treatment after this? Just the things that I have been doing, like detoxing, lymphatic massages, making sure my lymph system is moving, um, and then like cryotherapy, and then supplements. But oh, just just all of these things I just described—that that's a lot. Just all the just all the things that are a full time job within them, you know, within those things. Yeah. So looking forward, what are you thinking once you once you get past this and your doctor advises you that your MCAS levels are at a good place and we want to move forward now and start to, you know, 
hit the lime again. But I mean, we've, you've hit, you hit the lime in many ways already doing other things, but you're really focusing on MCAS now. When, when you want to go hit the lime again, what are your thoughts? Have you thought about it or is it too soon to really make any kind of guesses as to what you're going to do? Because lime end sounds interesting. SOT sounds interesting. You could, you could possibly go the antibiotic route. You could go, you know, there's so many options you have, right? Yeah. Um, I definitely don't want to do the antibiotic route for sure. Um, just because, you know, my, my husband did it at the very beginning and it, it helps, but to me, I feel like if you have chronic Lyme, if you don't catch it soon enough, the antibiotics just piss off those little Lyme, those little Lyme bugs. Right. And then they create this biofilm and they just keep multiplying and it doesn't really help the way it's supposed to, as when you first get diagnosed and go on antibiotics. I think for chronic Lyme patients, it's just, it's different. I don't know. So I'm not going to do the antibiotic route for sure. Um, SOT, if I get desperate, I'll go that route. But I think Lyman is the route that I'm going to go in conjunction, you know, with what I'm doing. And honestly, it's not even, I'm going to say when you have Lyme or you have any of these, right? Like Bartonella, Babesia, any of these things. I think it comes down to part of the journey is that what I've learned is that it's a lifestyle change, right? It's not just about treating it. You're going to be better. And then you can go back to doing all the crap you were doing before. It's, it's literally a lifestyle change. You have to change your diet. You have to change the way you treat your body, how you sleep, your, even your mental health, right? knowing like who you can have, who sucks the energy out of you and who doesn't, right? And cutting those people off and keeping the other ones in. It's just, it's a whole, it's very complex. It's not just, oh, you're sick. You're going to take a pill and you're going to be better. But Nick, let's take the, I, I know you have a similar view I do with this, right? A lot of people listening are thinking, man, I don't want to change my life. I, I want to go back to the way I was before. But, you know, Rich likes to say this a lot the person you were before resulted in the tick bite or the, the events that got you to be sick. Right. And, and for me, this was a hard pill to swallow, you know, obviously metaphorically speaking here, but making lifestyle changes helped me feel better from a mental health standpoint, from a physical standpoint. And now that I'm starting to make changes little by little, I'm like, heck, once I'm in remission, I don't want to ever stop these changes. I feel great. Right. So it's not like, oh man, I got to do all these things and that stinks. And that's just horrible. Well, you're going to feel so much better from these lifestyle changes. Right. So talk to us about that. I mean, just how much better you feel getting a good night's sleep, how much better you feel not eating inflammatory foods and high sugar and all these crappy foods that make you feel like crap, even if you're healthy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell, you know, it was, my birthday was on Tuesday. Oh, happy so birthday. Thank you. So of course I had cake, lots of cake. My mother-in-law makes the world's best chocolate cake. And when I eat certain amounts of sugar, I can tell the next day I can feel it, you know? So while I love this sugar, I'm finally getting to that point where I'm like, I know how this is going to make me feel and how it's going to make me feel tomorrow is not worth having it today. So my final question, I know Rich is getting anxious to come back in here and talk to you, but I have to ask because your husband's journey is so intermingled with yours. How is your husband doing today? He is doing a lot better, right? Um, he still has some days where he's like, Ooh, I don't feel that great today. Um, but he had a very, very tough journey. So we're just, 
we feel blessed that he's even here with us. Right. But he's doing a lot better for sure. Getting out on the water. Um, now I will say, and I don't know, Rich may talk about this, but one of the things being a Lyme patient or having a chronic illness is that your friends don't, if they're not dealing with the same thing, they don't necessarily understand what you're going through. Right. So it definitely affects that social aspect of your life. And with him, that's what we're working on now is finding those people that have that flexibility of like, Hey, I feel great today. You want to go do something or understanding that, Hey, I know we had plans, but it's not happening today. So, so Nicoletta, talk to us about the transformational nature of this experience. You talked to Matt a little bit about how, um, you know, you've learned to socially detox. You've learned how to physically detox. You've learned how to um, be really sensitive about protecting your health and obviously protecting your husband's health. Talk to us about how else this has been transformational uh, for you and why have you now felt called to sort of leave the quiet life you were leading before and now become public about uh, your, your, your journey and joining, you know, a podcast like ours to share uh, your experiences. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, well, one, we we've made it with him. He's here with us. He's doing better. Um, you know, so, so that's good. And a lot of our friends did see friends and family did see what he went through. So now that he's doing better, I can take care of myself. And I also feel like I need to share it so that way, when I tell people that I'm tired today, they understand to something, unless they're going through it, no one will truly ever understand. But at least now when I say I'm tired, it's not just a, I didn't sleep well. It's a, I'm dealing with something and I'm, I just, I need a moment of grace. Right. Um, <clears throat> but as far as the transformation uh, part of it, it's just, it's really made, made me step back. I'm definitely more humble than I've ever been right. Going from being able to afford these, these things that a lot of Lyme patients don't get to, we were very blessed. Right. And then in 2019, when my husband got really sick and we had to sell our house to be able to pay for these things, to keep him alive, that was a very humbling experience. Right. So it's also one of those things where you learn that, you know, life is short, life is precious. It can be taken at any moment. Um, it is a lifestyle change. I don't know. It's just, it's been very, it's been a, a lesson. The whole journey has just been a big life lesson. And, and it's a lesson that's allowed you to have a great deal of gratitude for things you took for granted to have a great, oh, absolutely. Of, a great deal of appreciation for the people in your life and the experiences that you've had. Um, and it's allowed you to, of course, value your health in a way that allows you to on some level be selfish and not allow people who are emotionally toxic or socially toxic or, you know, or, or any other type of toxin to enter into your system and to be brave enough to make sure that you have to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. So talk to us about one last thing. Uh, the question we ask everyone at the end of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, uh, if God forbid, and I'm going to use your mother-in-law, the, the, the woman who makes the world's best chocolate cake. 
let's say she came into your room right after this podcast, after making you a birthday, a chocolate birthday cake, uh, and she had a tick biting her on her arm. What would you recommend that she do so she wouldn't have to go on the very challenging journey that both you and your husband have had to endure? Um, definitely send it in, have it tested, right? See what that tick was carrying. But even while doing that, making sure, luckily with us being through this journey, I would know which doctor to send her to, right? And get her on antibiotics ASAP because doing them right when it happens is the difference between becoming, I, I feel like becoming a chronic Lyme patient or being able to, to get through it. Right. So that, that's what I would say. Have a, a Lyme literate doctor, have them get you started on antibiotics and just start that immediately, like literally day after. Nicoletta Forbes, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story with the Tick Bootcamp community. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Nicoletta Forbes. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Nicoletta Forbes, please visit our Instagram page at Forbes.Nick. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you have at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past guests on this podcast. We are due to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.